0: Hello, welcome to Books in the Wild, the podcast about exploring books. I'm Carrie Schroeder. You may have noticed I'm a bit behind schedule on the podcast, but the good news is it's because I've been working on some very exciting projects. I am going to be included in a group exhibition at the San Francisco Center for the Book, so I've been working on a piece for that along with some other projects. Um, The piece is this very cool collapsible box, sort of like a cross between the Hellraiser puzzle box and this board game called Labyrinth that I used to play as a kid. Um, Anyway, if you'd like to see some pictures, you can always follow me on Instagram at CoyoteBonesCarry. I have also been working on this very fun episode all about lost punctuation, but with all the delays, it might be a couple more weeks before that's completed. So in the meantime, rather than get too far behind, I thought I could do a mini-episode so that I don't get into a bad habit of procrastinating. Oh, and if you just can't get enough book arts podcasts, I'd also like to recommend Susan Mill's podcast, Bookbinding Now. Susan's been hosting Bookbinding Now for many years, where she interviews people in the book arts world, binders, printers, artists, and most recently, an episode that features me, a book arts podcast about a book arts podcast. You can go check that out at bookbindingnow.com. Today's mini-episode is about a mysterious little booklet called Shall We Have Common Sense? by George Washington Sleeper. Is it a genuine, remarkable discovery? Or is it an elaborate and confusing hoax? Or is it an anomalous artifact that somehow made its way into our reality from a parallel dimension? It's probably a hoax, but I'll let you make that decision. For his 90th birthday in February 1913, renowned British naturalist and evolutionary biologist Alfred Russell Wallace received a mysterious package containing a small booklet. On the cover of this discreet 36-page slim booklet was printed the title, Shall We Have Common Sense? Some Recent Lectures Written and Delivered by Sleeper, Boston, W.M. Bentz, Printer, 1849. Now, Wallace, as I mentioned, was a key figure in the field of evolutionary biology, and this little booklet, Shall We Have Common Sense?, was about to change his life. The contents of the booklet clearly and concisely outlined a theory of evolution, and germ theory. Why is this significant? Well, because the purported publication date of 1849 preceded Darwin and Wallace's theory of evolution through natural selection by a decade, and preceded Louis Pasteur's work on germ theory by nearly two decades. So after Wallace reads this little booklet, he writes to his fellow biologist and evolutionary theorist friend, Edward B. Poulton, at Oxford University to look into the pamphlet's authenticity.
1: My dear Poulton, Dorset, April the 2nd, 1913. About two months ago, an American sent me the enclosed booklet, which he'd been told was very rare and contained an anticipation of Darwinism. This it certainly does, but the writer was highly imaginative and, like all other anticipators of Darwin, did not perceive the whole scope of his idea. His anticipation, however, of divergent lines of descent from the common ancestor and of the transmission of disease germs by means of insects, are perfectly clear and striking. As you yourself made known one of the anticipators of Darwin, whom he himself overlooked, you are the right person to make this known in any way you think proper. As you have recently been in America, you might perhaps ascertain from the librarian of the public library in Boston, or from some of your biological friends there, what is known of the writer and of his subsequent history. If the house at Down is ever dedicated to Darwin's memory, it would seem best to preserve this little book there. If not, you can dispose of it as think best."
0: Poulton agreed that the work was remarkable. In fact, Poulton was so impressed by the booklet that, despite being a devout admirer of Darwin, he published an article through Harvard University Press called a remarkable American work upon evolution and the germ theory of disease, commending the booklet's findings. There was no doubt that the work was impressive, the only question now being the authenticity of the date. In his presentation of Shall We Have Common Sense to the Linnaean Society in 1913, Poulton is quoted as saying, supposing the work to be genuine, I doubt whether so much of pregnant thought and penetrating imagination has ever before been recorded in so small a compass. While Poulton continued to investigate the authenticity of the booklet, word of the pamphlet spread throughout the scientific community. Nature magazine published an article titled, A Remarkable Anticipation of Darwin in January of 1914. This is an excerpt. The clear grasp shown by the author of the Darwinian principles of the struggle for life and the origin of fresh species by the persistence of germinal characters By the preservations of those forms best adapted for the environment, and his advocacy of the persistence of germinal characters. The Nature article details the following evolutionary principles described in the pamphlet. A. Life owes its primal beginning to primal germs. Everywhere about us we see wage the pitiless battles for life. The useless perish, the useful live and improve. B. Man and the ape are co-descended from the same primary type. And finally, C. The life, germ, resident, in man transmitted by his descendants goes on existing indefinitely. So the general consensus was that Shall We Have Common Sense was a work of innovative and important ideas to the theory of evolution. However, as Poulton continued his research trying to confirm the pamphlet's pedigree, he uncovered a few worrisome discrepancies. Poulton began to have his doubts about whether or not the item was really what it claimed to be. And this is where we get into some juicy book forensic investigation. Let's start with the author of Shall We Have Common Sense, George Washington Sleeper. Sleeper was born in Baltimore in 1826 and moved to Boston while still in his youth. He owned a successful tea business with locations in Boston and Providence. His business ventures failed due to the Civil War and due to him being a fairly unlikable and eccentric person. He was known for having unpopular opinions and for exuberantly expressing these opinions to whoever would listen. He was interested in natural science and critical thinking and philosophy, and Sleeper did self-publish a booklet in 1860 in Providence titled Shall We Have Free Speech, in which a few copies and ads for his accompanying lectures still survive. He married and had a son named John Fremont Sleeper in 1864, And according to legend, he was wildly unpopular and became increasingly jaded and paranoid until his death in 1903. George's son, John Sleeper, donated his father's collection of over 3,000 science books and letters to Ashbury University in Kentucky. And so a booklet of theories of evolution does seem within the scope of what George Sleeper could and would write about. So it's established that Sleeper could be the author for this booklet. Let's talk about some of the discrepancies that Poulton's research uncovered. The person who sent this booklet to Wallace was a man named B.R. Miller from the United States who said they purchased it from a bookshop either in Cincinnati or Cleveland. I've been unable to find any additional information on him. The booklet listed the printer as W.M. Bentz in Boston, and there was a contract between the printer and sleeper. However, when the contract was shown to a retired manuscript expert from the British Museum, Sir George Warner, he said it was probably a forgery based on signature comparison. Printed on the inside flyleaf was a copyright information, which further research by Poulton turned up inconclusive. I haven't been able to find anything that indicates whether or not William Bentz’s print shop in Boston was ever contacted, or if any additional records were there. I also wonder perhaps if maybe an assistant could have prepared the contract on behalf of Bents, which is why maybe the signatures didn't match. Poulton also enlisted help from the American Type Founders Company in Boston, who told him that the typeface on the cover was not available until the 1870s. And this is where I could use some help in my research. According to an issue of the Inland Printer in 1914, the typeface used in Shall We Have Common Sense is called Lightface Celtic. I don't have any reason to think any differently, but I'm not a typographer, so if anyone out there has any additional information about the typeface used on the pamphlet and wants to help solve this mystery, please get in touch. The paper used was from a Dutch company with a forged Wattman watermark. Although since Wattman produced paper using this watermark from 1740 all the way to 2002, this doesn't necessarily indicate date, it just means that bootleg paper was used. Another discrepancy that led Poulton and others to doubt the authenticity of the book was Sleeper's use of the word agnostic, which is a word attributed to Thomas Huxley in 1869, 20 years after the booklet's print date. Sleeper's use of the word agnostic before its accepted date of origin really means nothing in my opinion. I'm not a linguist, but I know that oral language has always come before written language, and so the term agnostic used in this way was probably in verbal use way before it was ever written down. And Sleeper's reputation as a radical atheist makes him a perfect candidate for being one of the first people to use the word agnostic in this way. Words are added to the dictionary because their use has become widespread. They don't just create words and then hope that everyone else catches on. The next cause for Poulton's concern was that the booklet was purportedly based on lectures given by Sleeper, and yet records of these lectures could not be found. Sleeper was a notorious atheist and vehemently anti-religious even going so far as to say that Biblical creationism was, quote, "...one of the most audacious insults ever offended to the human intellect." Therefore, it was doubtful that he would have been able to secure an audience for such a lecture in 19th century New England. Edward Poulton flip-flopped back and forth on the authenticity of this booklet, and presented his findings to the Linnaean Society, who then deemed, shall we have common sense, an official hoax? Wallace, however, remained convinced of the pamphlet's authenticity until his death in November of 1913, less than a year after the mysterious booklet arrived on his door. Alright, so now that some of the evidence has been presented, let's move on to the who done it. Let's say that Shall We Have Common Sense was a hoax. I think the important question to ask ourselves is, but why though? Who would have the motive or patience to do such a thing? Let's run through our cast of characters so far. Let's start with Alfred Russell Wallace, British naturalist and biologist. He wore fabulous coats and pretty much looks like what you would expect a 19th century naturalist to look like. Wallace developed theories on evolution through natural selection and co-published and presented his work with Charles Darwin at the Linnaean Society in 1858. Now since Darwin was already dead by 1913, I'd say that Wallace had the most to lose from the discovery of the Common Sense booklet, since it would mean that he and Darwin were not the first to publish these theories of evolution. So I think it actually says a lot for Wallace's integrity as a scientist, and his belief in the booklet's importance and authenticity, that when he received the gift, instead of just quietly tossing it in the trash and backing away, he calls up all of his colleagues and says, hey guys, look at this! Next up, I've been unable to find any additional information on the American who mailed the book to Wallace, a Mr. B. R. Miller, nor have I been able to figure out which bookstore in Ohio it was purchased from. Then we have Edward B. Poulton, another British evolutionary biologist, 30 years Wallace's junior, known for his work on animal evolutionary camouflage and mimicry. He was a professor at Oxford University and was a great admirer of Charles Darwin. Although he expressed his doubt about the date of Shall We Have Common Sense, he never denied that it was impressive caliber of work. Even if the booklet had been published in 1913 instead of the indicated 1848 date, it would still be impressive. Next up on our character list, we have George Sleeper himself who had self-published booklets before and conducted lectures in a similar scope, though apparently, Shall We Have Common Sense was far more coherent and less embittered than Sleeper's other known work, Shall We Have Freedom of Speech, printed in 1860. Sleeper could have fudged the date on the booklet, but again, for what purpose? If he was responsible for the work, it doesn't appear as though he made more than one copy, and it also doesn't seem like he tried to actually get it published or sell it anywhere. So why fake a date on a document that he wasn't trying to sell or even show to anyone? Which now brings us to his son, John F. Sleeper. It has been suggested that John could have been responsible for the forgery as a way to polish up his father's reputation, to be more of an eccentric scientist who was ahead of his time rather than a ranting curmudgeon. John, after all, was a writer and a chemist, and though his family's name was well known in the community, they weren't really well liked mostly due to their vocal disdain for religion and mockery of everyone who adhered to such beliefs. Sleeper would have been great on social media. I like to think of Sleeper as a real-life precursor to Twitter, where he's just yelling in the streets his unsolicited thoughts at everyone and unabashedly mocking people for their opinions. Hey, you. Yeah, you, Gibface. Who taught you how to ride a horse? Yeah, me. Yeah, well, you're all pigeon-livered hornswogglers. A lot of you." So it makes sense that John would want to clean up his father's name. And he did have a working knowledge of science and writing, except for the fact that John, by many accounts, was just like his father. He was eccentric, incredulous, disdainful, and just generally unpleasant to be around. So it doesn't seem really likely that someone would try to better the family name if they didn't really see anything wrong with it to begin with. So who else would have the motivations to go through all the trouble to create such a bizarre hoax? Though the booklet does deal with some of the same subjects as Wallace, Darwin, and Pasteur, they weren't really similar enough to undermine any of their work. And in order to make such a forgery, the creator would have to be extremely well-versed in matters of evolutionary biology, germ theory, and be knowledgeable enough to impress the world's leading biologists on top of knowing how to print and make bootleg paper. There's only one known copy of the booklet, and it was gifted to Alfred Wallace, not sold and the booklet now resides in the Linnaean Society Library in London. My feelings on Shall We Have Common Sense is that maybe it was too quickly labeled a hoax? The comparison of the printer's contract was done in London by a manuscript scholar, but what about the print shop in Boston? I also want to know more about the typefaces used. Inland printers identified it as lightface Celtic, but there's a picture in the show notes if you want to take a look yourself. I've also been unable to find a copy to read in its entirety, and there doesn't seem to be a scanned version or many pictures available. The fact that there's only one copy could just mean that this is a proof copy, and maybe the print run was never completed. Maybe the copy is genuine, and the world just wasn't ready for such controversial content. As usual, my planned mini-episode has raised more questions and research rabbit holes than I had originally intended, but it's also what makes this stuff so fun! So if you have any thoughts on this matter or tips on where to find additional information about the typefaces or George Sleeper or the Linnaean Society, please let me know. We can start a mystery gang for book mysteries. Most of my research came from Literary Forgeries and Mystifications by Richard Landon in 2003, and from the article The Story of a Largely Unknown Evolution, Germ Theory Hoax by Milton Wainwright and Suleiman Ali Alarbi from the Saudi Journal of Biological Sciences in 2011, as well as from numerous typography and print journals. I've included links to all of this in the episode notes and the reading list page at booksinthewild.com. I should really consolidate those, but I'll work on that later. Oh, and a big thanks to my friend Martin Kelly for reading the letter by Alfred Russell Wallace. You're going to make a great 90-year-old scientist one day, Martin. Finally, this episode was brought to you by Coyote Bones Press. That's me, guys. Visit coyotebonespress.etsy.com to buy some atomic snow globes or cryptozoological guidebooks today. I'm Carrie Schroeder. This is Books in the Wild. As always, you can follow Books in the Wild podcast at Facebook or Instagram, and check out booksinthewild.com. Thank you for listening, and I will be back in a few weeks.